Genesis chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to spend a few minutes on this topic, the sanctity of life. Genesis chapter 1. In 1962, that's how long this has been going on, in 1962, abortion became decriminalized in Canada. Decriminalized in Canada. That means they would no longer press charges if somebody had an abortion. It was no longer governed by law, but by medical statute only. It has been tossed back and forth over the years in the Supreme Court, but since 1988, there have been absolutely no laws governing abortion in Canada. Now think about this. As of three years ago, and I, uh, that's the most recent stat I could find, as of three years ago, Canada was the only country in the world where abortion is completely unregulated. That means there's no laws regarding it whatsoever. You could literally abort a child the day before you're scheduled to give birth. That's how, how scary it is in Canada. There's no regulation, no laws. It's only governed by medical statute. And you say, well, what was all the fuss then in the 80s and the 90s, early 90s with Henry Morgenthaler? The problem there was not that he broke any laws, but he set up illegal clinics. They were outside of the medical uh, statutes and practices, and they were not uh, governed, listen to this, they were not governed for safety. As if abortion is safe. It's not safe for the child that is put to death. But you know, right to life is, is a lot bigger issue now than it was even just five years ago. Now we're talking about euthanasia. Now we're talking about the right to die. If, a, if a, a young person says, well, I'm depressed, can you give me some pills? There are places in this world and in North America now where you can go to a doctor and if you can get a second opinion saying, yes, you're depressed and you want to take your own life, we will give you the right medication and you can do that. It's an incredible thing that we are seeing unfold right before our eyes. You know, the Bible says the devil is a murderer. The devil is a murderer. He's a liar and he kills. Now let's think about this. The very first thing we ever saw the devil do in the Bible was he encouraged Eve to take the fruit that would lead to her eventual death. That was his motive, to kill what God had created. The next sin we see in the Bible is when we see Cain killing Abel. So the devil is definitely a murderer, has inspired this whole thing. And so when we hear some of these things that we're about to hear today and, and listen to, and, and I'm going to show you a video before we do. you have that ready, Brother Austin? All right, I wanted to give you a second to get that ready. So we found our place in Genesis chapter 1. I want you to, to keep in, in mind some of these things you're about to see before I preach this morning or bring you some of these thoughts about the development of a child in the womb. And of course, near and dear to our heart is the whole abortion issue, isn't it? And I would encourage you to get involved in some way if you can. Every year, the Haywards uh, put on a banquet for the local uh, Right to Life uh, chapter here. And, and so this year, they did it in our gymnasium. They used our kitchen and put it on. And I wasn't aware much about it. I volunteered to do dishes that night just so I could have a part. And, and I was very thankful for those that came. And I would encourage you next year, come and be a part of that. It, it doesn't hurt you. It just gives you one night where you can come and listen to the local issues and things that are going on and the stand that we should be taking in supporting these different groups that are doing their... And you say, well, I don't know what they are. Listen, they're fighting for life. That's, that's what we're concerned about here. They're fighting for life. And so consider that and pray about that. It's an important, important issue, one that is near to the heart of God. All right, let's, let's see some of these stats. The interesting thing is, as many stats that we can spew out today or show you on a screen, 
none of it really matters. All that matters is what does God say about it? That's all that really matters. If God were to say that this was permissible, then it would be permissible. But God has not said that. And I want to show you from the scripture today just some very simple things what the Bible says. I want you to understand this. Last year, they say that worldwide there were 80 million abortions performed. 80 million. That's more than died in all of World War I and World War II combined. At a cost of between $400 and $500 per abortion, you can do the math. That's over $32 billion that was harvested in the proceeds from abortions across the world. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And I'm not saying today that the because of the money factor that they're doing more abortions than ever before. But I do know this, that they do counsel in that direction. I have seen a video of somebody taking a, a purse with a camera into a Planned Parenthood and they were counseling this young lady to get an abortion. It was what was right for her. As a matter of fact, when Bethany was in the womb, the doctors counseled us to have an abortion. They said, Bethany has no brain. Debatable. They said she doesn't have a brain. The, brain, the head has been caved in on the one side. They said there's not enough amniotic fluid to carry that baby to term, and we don't hear a heartbeat. They said you're going to have to abort this baby, or that tissue's going to start decaying. I said right away to my wife, I said, I heard the heartbeat. The doctor says, no, that was, must have been your wife's heartbeat. And I said, not at 140 beats per minute. This is not my first child. This was my fourth child. I've heard a fetal heartbeat. And so he says, well, maybe you need to get another test done. Where did you have your test done? And I told him, and he goes, oh, go somewhere else. He didn't want to disparage that clinic, but he told us to go somewhere else. And so we did, and the several weeks passed in between, and the lady knew that I guess we were apprehensive about it all. And though they cannot give a diagnosis, he kindly on the, on the ultrasound, she circled the head and she says, look how round that is. She colored in the areas of the amniotic fluid with that digital pen and she goes, boy, look at how much amniotic fluid there is. And she was telling us that every, and then she turned the heartbeat way up loud so we could hear. Today we have a beautiful 16-year-old who just got her license. It's incredible. What God told us to throw away, or what the doctors told us to throw away, and God said, no, that's a precious child. We must be very careful that when we are messing with what God has ordained to be his. Genesis chapter 1, if you look there with me, look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. I'm going to be honest with you, this is a very difficult message, and I have a lot more notes than I normally do, so I'm going to be very careful and mindful of our time, and I'm just going to try to, I'm going to, try to pare this down. I, I, I believe what I just said. I've got a lot of statistics and things, but I want to be honest with you, I don't believe they matter. I'm not saying that statistics don't represent people in human lives. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not trying to make light of, of who has died or who is going to die as a result of this plague upon our society. But I want you to know all that matters is what God says about it. Listen, when we say that the Bible is our only rule for faith, listen, some people say the Bible is our final authority. That implies there's another authority. No, the Bible is our only authority for faith and practice. And so it only matters what God says. So let's look there this morning. Genesis chapter 1, I want you to notice, first of all, we are created by God. He said, well, I know that. 
I know, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir this morning, and I know that you understand these things, but I think uh, Paul said this, uh, for me to, to, to make you aware of these things again or to be mindful of these things is not grievous for me, but it was necessary, expedient. It's important that we are reminded of some things once in a while. So notice, first of all, we are created by God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. The Bible says in verse 27, read it again. So God created man. Not only did he create man, he created man in his own image, in the image of God. Created he him, male and female. Created he them. Job chapter 10, the Bible says this, Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh, and hast fenced me with bones and sinews. Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. Let me give you another scripture, Psalm chapter 95. If you're making notes this morning, Psalm chapter 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I, I don't think it's, it's a stretch for anybody's imagination here this morning to understand that we were created by an almighty God. If you're just getting here on board at Bethel Baptist Church, I want you to know this morning, we do not believe in the heresy called evolution. We do not believe that all this happened by chance. As I hear people going into surgeries and listen to what is about to take place, more and more I'm convinced that the body is intricate in design, that only God could create such a thing. It's an amazing thought what God has spoken to existence, and his greatest creation is you because you were made in his image. We are created by God. It was God that created all, and therefore it is God that we must answer to in this matter. I want you to think about this. God formed man from the dust of the ground, and it wasn't until he breathed breath into his nostrils that he became a living soul. Joseph's brothers thought that once their father had died that he would require their life and revenge, but Joseph wisely answered this. He said, am I in the place of God? You know the story, don't you? Joseph, of course, was the favorite son. God had blessed Joseph to be a leader. And he had visions and dreams. And in those dreams, he saw the chiefs bowing down to one. And his brothers recognized quickly he was talking about them. And that they would one day bow down to Joseph. So they took him and they threw him in a pit and they rent his coat of many colors and they dipped it in blood and they showed it to his father. Joseph was taken by Midianites and eventually sold into Egypt. There he dwelt in Potiphar's house and accused of rape and so he was thrown into prison and there he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh's baker. Eventually he found himself, long story short, to be in second command in all of Egypt. God had blessed him with the gift of administration and God used that gift to elevate Joseph. And one day when his brothers came looking for food in the midst of a drought, 
Of course, Joseph had aged. Perhaps he'd grown a beard. They did not recognize him. He spoke to them in Egyptian through a translator so they would not know who he was. And eventually when he revealed himself to them, they feared for their lives, thinking that surely when dad dies, he'll require our lives. And Joseph understood this about human life. Am I in the place of God? In other words, it's God's job to take life. God gives it, and God takes it away. As a matter of fact, that's what Job said. Job received word that all of his family had died. They were having a dinner together, and the house collapsed upon them and left them all dead. And Job's answer was, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Understand this, the fact that God created us means our lives are in his hands. We've been praying lately, and I'm sure Pastor Stone, I'm sure you've heard about, you know, Brother John Jenkins, and his son Brandon is very ill right now. I don't know if you heard that. His son Brandon, we're not sure what happened, but a few years ago got some sort of infection that affected his heart. He's about 25 years old, has a young bride, and for the last 15 days has been laying in a hospital on an ECMO pump, needing a heart transplant, saying that he would not survive the night several times. And yet the other day they took him off full life support and he's awake and God has done a work in his life. And repeatedly, what I have seen from his father and from his father-in-law, they've just been saying this, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh. Brandon's life is in God's hands. They have not pleaded for anything except for God's will. And they have just taken Brandon and said, God, he is yours. You know, we could do far worse in this life if we understand our lives belong to God. And we are to live according to his will. And the life that you have been given, that breath that you breathed this morning, that's a gift from God. There's a second thought that goes along with this. Since God created us, we must be stewards of what he has given us. God has given you life to be used for his glory and for his honor. And we must exalt the name of the Lord. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I believe with all my heart that if you have a distaste for abortion, for euthanasia, for all these things that we see coming around in our world today, I believe that's God-given. Because the devil is a murderer. He is a liar. Look what the Bible says in John chapter 8, and read with me, if you will, in verse 37. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me. A man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Listen to this. Ye are, ye are of your father the devil, 
And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, you want to kill me because your father's a murderer. The devil is a murderer. Where does this lust to destroy and to kill come from? I'll tell you this this morning, it's inspired of the devil himself. It is the doctrine of devils. I've had this thought several times over the years. Way back we see that the Israelites are in Egyptian bondage. And God raised up a deliverer in Moses. And it was then that Pharaoh was inspired of the devil to destroy and kill all the babies. Fast forward about 1,500 years and we come to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when another deliverer was coming, Herod said, let's kill all the babies. Since 1966 in Canada and 1972 in the United States, Roe versus Wade, North America has decided, let's kill all the babies. It makes me wonder if another deliverer is coming. It makes me wonder if God has set something in emotion and that the devil is fighting fiercely to try to stop it once again. The devil is a murderer. We are created by God, but I want you to notice also, if you'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, conceived by God. Jeremiah chapter 1. Do you know that child that is carried in a womb comes from God? Nobody can explain. I mean, scientifically, they can explain how all that happens. But who designed it? I've never been able to understand the evolution theory that over millions and billions of years, a a, a single-cell organism split into two and became a, a fish, and then it crawled on ground, and it got rid of its gills and began to breathe air and grew legs and eventually became a monkey and turned into a man. I've left out some steps there. I get that. I've never understood that. And they say, well, that's a a billion, 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 billion times a billion to one chance that that could ever happen. And I'm thinking, it's even bigger odds he could find a wife. Where where did his wife come from? And what are the chances even if 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 they went at every step at the exact same pace that he's not in North America and she's in Australia? What are the odds? And then when they do finally find each other, they are perfectly complemented to reproduce. What are the chances? Somebody said this, I'd be an atheist and I believe in evolution, but I don't have enough faith. The Bible says in the beginning, God created. God put all this into motion. We have to understand and respect life simply because it's the the conception in the mind of God. Jeremiah chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Luke chapter 1 and verse 39, we see that Mary has conceived of the Holy Ghost and she goes to her cousin Elizabeth. And in verse 43, she says, how is it that the mother of my Lord, she already knew who that child was. And the Bible says that John the Baptist leapt in her womb. Do you know what that tells me? 
that whatever going on in there, God's got his hand in it. God has a part in it. God has ordained it and God has blessed it that you might have a child. What a wonderful, wonderful miracle that takes place when conception takes place. They already knew that, I believe that Mary left almost immediately. She left when the Bible says that John was, it was six months, Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John and she went down to that place and that baby would have just been a little bean. The Lord Jesus Christ would have been just the size of a dime. And yet she says, the mother of my Lord, he was a child. He had intrinsic value. You know, there's a word that they throw around in the hospitals a lot. Part of the struggle we had with Bethany, even after we decided that we weren't going that route and we were going to trust the Lord, was that my wife continuously went into labor. She was due, she was born May the 1st, she was due May the 13th. And uh, which is amazing because all of our kids, five weeks, four weeks, and three weeks premature, and she went the longest after all the struggles we had. But it was Christmas time, so she's due May 13th, and it was just before Christmas she went into labor. And I remember rushing to the hospital and thinking we were losing the baby, and there was all kinds of things that you don't need to hear about. It was just, it was just a heartbreaking, discouraging day. And from that point on, it just seemed like every two weeks she'd go into labor. And we got to the point where she'd be doubled over in church and somebody said, you need to get to the hospital. I don't know, that's about the fifth time we've been in labor. Don't worry about it. It was incredible. Then they put her on bed rest for about six weeks, I think it was. She couldn't get out of bed. She loved it. <laughs> just, but just all the struggles and all the things that we went through, and we looked at all that, and the doctor kept saying this every time she went into labor. Well, you know, if you have the baby now, she's not viable. Boy, I hate that word. Amen. I hate that word. I understand that at 20 weeks of pregnancy, you may not be able to save that child. But she is viable. Yes. She is worth something to God. We must always keep in mind that God created her. She's because, boy, I'm getting all sentimental about my daughter now. Beth, I'm giving you a hug after church. I'm just going to remind you, let you know now. Miracle of God. Viable. Boy, that just sounds like it comes right from the devil to me. I don't know. Conceived by God. When does life begin? Let me, let me share this from a doctor. Biology is crystal clear that at the moment of conception, also known as fertilization, a unique organism comes into existence. Think, think about that. Think about that. Some of you get mad today if I stepped on a cockroach. You would. Remember about two months ago that cockroach came across here? I thought it was a mouse out of the corner of my eye and I jumped. Do you remember that? Somebody came out in the hall after and said, I'm sure glad you didn't step on that. Somebody on the live stream might have got upset. Good night. I was too scared to step on it. That was the problem. <laughs> it was bigger than I was. So, so we get so upset. The Bible, this, this doctor says very plainly, biology is crystal clear that a new and unique organism comes into existence. Life. Since this new life 
possesses human DNA and is the offspring of human parents, it can legitimately only be described as human life. Since there can be no question that human zygotes, embryos, and fetuses are alive, some have attempted to claim that human beings are not persons until some threshold is crossed, such as viability. There's that word. The, cap- the capacity to feel pain, birth, or even the first year after birth, the mares. Think about that. What are the implications of that? They can't feel pain until, or have memories until the first year after birth. Are you telling me a one-year-old's not viable? That's where this is headed. Let's be honest. As a matter of fact, we've already heard it from places in Europe where they're saying, can you abort a child after they're born? Uh, They don't have memory. They are not sentient beings is the word that they use. It's absolutely appalling. That's, That's stuff Hitler thought of. The merits of each nation... Can be debate or each uh, notion can be deba- debated, but it should be clear that they are not based on science, but rather an ideology, philosophy, or belief. That is true. As far as observable science is concerned, human life begins at conception. Listen, at conception, the child has twenty-three pairs of chromosomes and approximately fifty thousand genes. Yes, that's a an accident. No, that's a creation of God. From each parent, which combine to determine all of one's physical characteristics, including sex, facial features, body type, and color of hair, eyes, and skin. When does an unborn child's heart begin to beat? A baby's heart begins to beat 18 days from conception, and by 21 days, the heart is pumping blood through an enclosed circulatory system. When can the unborn child's brain waves be detected? A baby's brain waves can be detected at six weeks from conception. When can the unborn child feel pain? By nine weeks. You know, a lot of ladies don't even know that they're pregnant at nine weeks. And they go and have an abortion. And they, oh, they don't feel it. Are you kidding me? They can feel pain at nine weeks. It's torturous murder. Conception is an act and a miracle of God. I'm going to jump ahead here. And I want you to understand this. And this is the important thing. Those first two things, that the idea of conception is a conception of God or conceived by God, and that we are created by God, brings us all to this one thing. Life is controlled by God. Life is controlled by God. We are in his hands. I want you to consider the scriptures now. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, back to where we were. Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 1. I feel like, honestly, messages like this, you're teaching more than you're preaching, and I'd much rather preach. But I know that it's necessary that we talk about these things. Brother Paul, I leaned over to him on the platform, and I said, Brother Paul, I said, I'm a little nervous that the kids will be in here today. I don't want to say something. Maybe I shouldn't. He says, Pastor, you won't believe what they're hearing in school. He says, it wouldn't hurt them to hear the truth. So young people, listen up. Listen up. You're valuable. You're worth something. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. 
there's a consequence for sin. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. What was Satan's motive? His motive here in Genesis chapter 3 was to destroy what God had created. That's what Satan's been doing ever since he landed on this earth. He has set out to destroy God's creation. He's a murderer, the Bible says, from when? The beginning. He's been a murderer from the beginning. And so he goes to Eve and he twists the words of God and he sets her up to die. Satan wasn't trying to open her eyes. He wasn't trying to enlighten her. He wasn't simply trying to get her to rebel against God. Satan knew there was a death sentence attached to sin. I'm sure at this point, as Satan has fallen from heaven already, he already knows that his days were numbered, and he knew that his fate would be the lake of fire, and so he has made all things to all men that he might take some with him. He's a murderer. And that's where all this is seated in. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 22. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. He forfeited his chance that moment to have eternal life. And so no, God had to plan redemption. He was dead. He had died in his sins. And lest he take of that tree and have life and remove the penalty of death. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. Life and death are in the hands of God. God decides it. So he put Adam and Eve out of the garden and he put a, a, a cherubim there with a flaming sword that they might not be able to enter in and take of the tree of life. And now they must come through the blood. They must come to God through the sacrifice of atonement. God controls life. In John chapter 10, if you'll turn there with me, John chapter 10, we see the Lord Jesus Christ reinforce this thought with those that were listening. John chapter 10, he says in verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power. Listen to that. That's the key. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Listen. This commandment have I received of who? My father. You know what the lie is out there today? Well, it's my life. If I want to take it, I can. I can lay it down. You, you, don't, you don't live with this pain. You don't live with this depression. And It's my life. If I want to kill myself, I can. Jesus said this, I have power to lay down my life. Why? Because it was commanded of the Father. That's it. I want to submit to you today that Jesus, following the will of God, could not have laid down his life if it were not ordained of God. God has the power of life and death. Listen, don't fall for the lie of the devil. The devil wants you to take that power. Here's the truth. The devil would kill all you if he could. 
Praise God that we're blood-bought and we are sealed under the day of redemption. And we have Christ living in us and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Thank God that he's in control of life. Now let me ask you this. Did David do wrong? We're talking about King David. I'm going to ask you some questions, see if you can follow this thought. Did David do wrong when he marched in the battle and defeated thousands of enemies by the sword? No. He was the king of Israel. Before that, he was the captain of the the troops. He went to defend Israel, and he fought in battle, and he killed. The Bible says he'd killed his ten thousands. That's what they marched in the streets singing about David. Did he do wrong? No. Because he was commissioned by the king who was set up by God. Did he do wrong when he killed Goliath on the battlefield? No, of course not. It was, again, a battle that was commissioned by a king who was set up by God. Did he do wrong when they had traitors against the throne executed? No, because now he was the king. And that power of the sword was upon his hand. Read Romans chapter 13. Did he do wrong when he had Uriah killed? Yes, he did. What was the difference? Because for everything else, God had given authority. And all of his other actions were in the name of God. We come back a little bit later in his life. Or before that. And we find that in in Gedi, David refused to kill Saul. And he said this, he is God's anointed. Do you know what the difference is? David sinned because he didn't have authority to kill Uriah. Where does that authority come from? Jesus said it. When we're commanded by the Father. Let me put it this way. If you're mad at somebody, you're welcome to kill anybody God tells you to. God hasn't told you that, has he? Matter of fact, here's what God has told you. Thou shall not kill. That's God's command. Who controls life? God does. Maybe you're here today and you're discouraged. You say, you know, Pastor, I'm sick and I'm hurting. Can I say this? Put it in God's hands. I'm, I'm not trying to make light of your suffering. And I'm sure there are days you might get up and say, boy, I just wish it would end. Brother Stone, you know John Bishop. I heard John Bishop's testimony. John Bishop got spinal meningitis, and he kind of talks like Tarzan. He doesn't use verbs sometimes and adjectives, and he just stutters when he talks, but a powerful preacher. Incredible. He's got a ministry called God is Good Ministries, just because God is good. He said there was a time where things got so bad And he was in so much pain. He says, at night, I'd often go lay on the couch because I'd be tossing and turning and waking my wife. He says, but the pain was so bad. He says, I laid on that couch and I began to pray. And I said, God, would you just take me home? He says, and I fell to sleep with a perfect peace because I believed God was going to do it. He says, I was mad when I woke up. That's how we're supposed to deal with it. Put it in God's hands. God, you are the author of life. God, you control my life. Suffering is but for a season. The Bible says that this present suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. What an incredible thought. He calls it our light affliction, 
compared to the eternal weight of glory. I like that. I'm not making light of your affliction, but compared to eternity, hey, just put your life in God's hands. He says, so what are we supposed to do? Boy, we need to pray for our leadership of our country. We need to help them understand, and I've got so much more and I don't have any time. We, we need to pray for the right leaders, godly leaders, biblical leaders, men and women of God that will stand up and say, this is wrong. We are seeing in some places the world where they're overturning things and running them out. We were just down in Texas and, uh, for our Christmas break, and I, I learned while I was there, uh, one of the fellows that we had supper with told me there's only one abortion clinic left in Texas. Praise the Lord, that's one too many. But praise the Lord. But friends, if we can all get on this same page, that life is precious. These videos we watch today, they say choose life. I understand that's, that's, that's directed at the, the choice crowd. For me, there is no choice. God gave us life. We are to cherish every moment of it. Because it is just a vapor. But it is God's vapor to be used for his glory. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if I could encourage you today... Again, it was more of a teaching than a preaching, and I struggle with those kind of things, so forgive me for my fumbling around up here. But would every Christian take some time and pray today? We have local pregnancy center here in town that's pro-life. We have a Voice for Life chapter here in town. Would you pray for them, pray for their leadership? Would you pray, folks in our church, you know there's Christians that struggle with these decisions. Would you stand to your feet? If you'd like to use the altar, you can. Just to stand together with their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Several years ago, there was a young lady in Lighthouse Baptist Church in St. Catharines that was going through the same thing that we went through with Bethany. And they were debating whether or not they should abort that child. The pastor at the time was Pastor Taranjo, and he put out an email, has anybody gone through something like this? And I said, we have. And I wrote out the testimony, and I sent it to him, and he gave it to the young lady. I'm not sure what happened there, but could we use our stories to encourage somebody, help somebody? There's some people that are, it's a moral dilemma, it's a difficult decision for them. It shouldn't be, but it is. Would you pray? Maybe there's some young lady you know that's expecting a child and maybe she's ashamed. And hey, listen, here's the thing. Yes, they sinned, but you've sinned too. And God's grace is sufficient. What they need is the love of Christ. They need your support and your help to get back on the right track. Let's pray that we can see a revival of life in our country. Brother Baker's going to sing a hymn of invitation. and Would you just take some time to pray this morning? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee.
You may be seated just for a moment. We'll give you a couple of announcements and then we'll dismiss. Don't forget, we're having this soup and sandwich lunch right now. It's a fundraiser for the Academy, and we'd appreciate it so much. You ask how much is it? It's by donations, whatever you want to give. And so we're just glad that you come. There's lots of soup there. Uh, of course, we're down quite a few people today with the weather and such. And so uh, we have a lot of food, and we hope that you'll come and eat it. You say, I, I don't have anything to give. Come eat anyway. That's fine. And if you want to throw something towards the Academy later on in the year, you're more than welcome to. But we're just glad that you're here. We hope that you'll come. You know, I was having this thought while we were praying. Uh, about a year ago, I guess. How old is how old is Abigail? We're eighteen months. So it's been a year and a half ago. Uh, the night she was born, I got called to the hospital about one in the morning, I guess it was, and uh, she had swallowed amniotic fluid and and wasn't doing well, wasn't breathing well, really struggling, and they were going to have to rush her to London, and so we spent the night driving to London and helping Ashley had to leave, say goodbye to her baby. That's a terrible thing. And then my wife picked her up later and we took her to London as well. And uh, Caesar called me and I, I, I don't think this will embarrass him. He was brokenhearted, weeping on the phone. And I couldn't even understand. I can't understand him on the phone most days. But he was weeping. And uh, I said, Caesar, what's wrong? And he said, all I could make of was hospital. So I said, I'm coming. And so we got up to the hospital While we were just closing out, I was thinking to myself, one day earlier, people abort that little baby all the time and don't even think, think about it. But just because she was an outie instead of an innie, just because of a 10-minute process of coming through the birth canal, we're weeping and praying and begging God. But 24 hours Six hours, two hours earlier, they could have aborted her and gone home and not have thought a thing about it. I think the live stream is done, so I'll share this. Jason Smith at Jason Smith Funeral Home told me this, that he gets four, five, six abortions a year that he has to bury. The parents will call the funeral home and saying, we're going into the hospital to have this abortion. You can pick up the the fetus, or whatever they want to call it. By the way, fetus, Cody told me, fetus is Greek for little human. That's what it means. After 24 weeks, if that child has been aborted after 24 weeks, they cannot bury it without a birth certificate. It has to be named. Jason says, I have to name the baby to put on the birth certificate before we can bury it. The parents don't want anything to do with it, so he says, I just pick a name, and they put it on the birth certificate. What, what a horrible money-making, yes. that's all that is. Yes. What a horrible, horrible, wicked practice. They, they know it's a child. It has to be named. It has to be properly buried through a funeral home, and yet you can go in and abort it. Closing thought. Cheerful thought, isn't it?